Good morning. Last week we were studying the first seven uh, judgments that are found in Revelation. Today we have 14, so I get twice as long today as I had last week. I want you to think about this for a second. What would it have been like to have lived in the times of Noah? And to see this man going out every day and building an ark. And telling all of his generation that God was going to judge the world with a flood that they had never seen before. And that he was going to destroy the earth with a flood. And the reason he was going to do that is because the scripture says that every imagination of the thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. Can you imagine getting up every morning and hearing the pounding of the nails in that boat, getting up every morning and hearing Noah preaching one more time, God is going to judge the earth. Your sinners who need to repent, your sinners who need to turn to the Lord, and the Lord will save you. So it wasn't just a message of judgment. It was a message of salvation. The salvation was to get into the ark with Noah and be delivered from the wrath to come. But that generation did not believe Noah. That generation did not listen, and that generation perished in the flood, except for Noah and eight people total in his uh, family. Matthew chapter 24, verse 21 says this, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. There is coming a day that will be unlike any other day in history. It is a day of the Lord, sometimes called the Great Tribulation. We've looked at it and we see that it is the last three and a half years of the Tribulation period. There is no battle that the world has ever fought that is as serious as this one. If you were to take all the wars of all time and put them together, they would not be um, in comparison to what is coming on planet Earth. If you were to take World War I, World War II, all of the hundreds of thousands of people who, who perished, it's nothing compared to what is coming. The events of the outpouring of God's wrath, Jesus said that the times um, before that will be like the days of Noah. What were the days of Noah like? Well, as I mentioned, every imagination of the thoughts of their heart, only evil continually. We live in a generation like that today. We looked at last week that there are 21 judgments that God is going to pour out upon the earth. They're broken up into three sections or three types of of judgments. The first seven are called the seal judgments. The next seven are the trumpet judgments. And the third seven are the bowl judgments. As I mentioned to you last week, the seventh seal judgment actually includes all of the trumpet judgments and all of the bowl judgments. The seventh trumpet judgment includes all of the bowl judgments. It is likely that the first six seal judgments takes us right up to the middle of the tribulation period. The seventh seal judgment, as I mentioned, includes everything else after that. And the next issue or the next event that will take place after the sixth seal judgment is 
um, released is the abomination of desolation, which we looked at a few weeks ago. But in our study, we need to go back to the Gospel of Luke, because that's where we started. And so we're going to go there today, Luke 21, verse 20. Luke 21, verse 20, it says this, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let those who are in the country, and let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. In Luke's gospel, as we read this section, it seems that Luke is, or that the Lord Jesus is speaking of the destruction of Jerusalem. But it's interesting as you read this, it sounds like he's talking about something that has already happened in the past. At the time of the writing, it was future. But in AD 70, Jerusalem was sacked. The general Titus, the Roman general Titus, came in and he uh, destroyed Jerusalem. He killed most of the people that were in the city, and the rest were scattered uh, throughout the world. And so that did actually happen. But there's enough in this prophecy that didn't happen at that time that makes me wonder if we have yet another portion of Scripture that is a prophecy that has a double fulfillment. Remember a few weeks ago I mentioned that oftentimes when a prophet was looking forward at uh, some event, the Lord would often give them two events that seemed to merge into one. And we like to describe them as mountain peaks. And so there's this mountain peak, which is the near fulfillment of the prophecy. There is a valley in between that the prophet did not see. And then there's a higher mountain peak that he did see. And from his vantage point, as he's looking forward in history, it seems like the events are merged together. And I think we have that here in this uh, prophecy. Take a look at verse 24. Here we read that... um, uh, Yeah, verse 24. It says, They will fall by the edge of the sword. Did that happen in Titus? Uh, I mean, in in, um, AD 70? Yes. And be led away captive into all nations? Yeah, that's, it's called the diaspora. It was when the Jews were scattered uh, throughout the world. And it says, And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. It's a partial or a double reference or a double fulfillment of this prophecy because something like this is still going to take place in the future. It's the full and complete fulfillment of it Uh, and it's still to come. Take a look at verse 22. It says, For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Ah, now there's a little clue there. That actually tells us, uh, uh, when Titus went into uh, Jerusalem, he did not fulfill all of the Old Testament scriptures of the destruction of Jerusalem. 
He did not fulfill all of the prophecies concerning the Jews. All of the prophecies about the future still have to come to pass. And so we see from verse 22 that there's still an awful lot to come. And that Jerusalem will be sacked once again. And that the Jews will be scattered once again. In fact, uh, this clearly did not happen in AD 70. All of biblical prophecy was not fulfilled, but it will be. God has promised all of these things to, will take place, and he will see to it that he fulfills these things. In Zechariah chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. This warning that we see in Luke's gospel was taken literally by the people who lived in Jerusalem in AD 70. They saw the city being surrounded by armies. There was a very small sliver of opportunity to escape from the city, and those who took it lived. Those who stayed behind did not. Very, very small sliver of time. And uh, most of the people, as I say, in the city perished. It wasn't until 1948 that the Jews began to return to their land, and they became a state once again. But even then, they didn't have the full control of all the territory that God had promised them. And uh, 1967, you may remember, some of you may remember, the Six-Day War, in which the uh, Israelites, the Jews, basically expanded their territory in an immense way in six days. They just blew their enemies away, and uh, they, they uh, increased their territory immensely. Still, if you go to Jerusalem today, I wish I had asked Sharon for this picture because she was just there. The most prominent feature in Jerusalem today is what? Sorry? The Wailing Wall, I, that's not the most prominent thing you see, but it's there. The mosque. Is that a Jewish temple? No, okay? It is the Dome of the Rock. It is a, an Arab um, temple. When we turn to Matthew and Mark, we read nearly identical words as we find in, um, in Luke, but there's a little bit of a difference. And clearly from, this, from Matthew and Mark, he is talking about the middle of the tribulation. But listen to how, how um, closely it resembles the words in Luke. Mark chapter 13, we'll start there, and verse 14. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down into the house, nor enter to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter. For in those days there will be tribulation. Now carefully listen to this. There will be tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the creation which God created until this time nor ever shall be. 
And so the Lord is pointing forward to a time, and it wasn't 70 A.D. 70 A.D., there have been plenty of battles that have been far more uh, serious than that. But he is pointing forward to a time that the world has not seen yet, an event that is so great, so devastating, that, the, that it'll break all, all rules of history, all rules of warfare. The sign of this is the middle of the tribulation, and it will happen just as Jesus said. The Antichrist, as we looked at over the past few weeks, will set up a, a, an idol of himself in the temple, and he will sit in the temple and be worshipped as God. And that is the abomination of desolation. It is the abomination that causes desolation in uh, Jerusalem. It is at that time God is warning the people who will be living at that time in Jerusalem to get out. Don't go pack your suitcase. Don't go, come, don't go back home and get other people or other things if you're out in the field. Just go. Go. And it will be the outpouring of wrath like it has never been before. Before God poured out rain in Noah's day, he provided a way of escape. And I want you to understand something about God's character. God is fair. He is just. He is righteous. God is a God of wrath, and he will execute judgment on sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. God will see to it that the, those wages are paid. But God is also a God who is merciful, who is kind. And he is a God who always provides a way of escape. You can take it if you want to. He's not going to force you to take it. But uh, he, you don't have to. You can suffer the consequences if you want to. Before, no, before God poured out the rain in Noah's day and caused the flood, he sent the preacher Noah. He caused Noah to preach to his generation and to command them or to, to compel them to come. To come where? To the ark of safety. There was one door, one way in, and it was the only place of safety. God provided a way of escape. Before God poured down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah, he provided a way of escape for Lot and his family. And they had to get out, get out of town. God is a God who provides a way of escape. And God is about to pour out his wrath on the earth. He promises that. He's warned us of that. He sends preachers like this to go and to preach and to tell you to, be, to, to flee from the wrath to come. And yet even at this late hour, God provides a way of escape. And it's through the Lord Jesus Christ, by faith in his finished work on the cross for you. You see, Jesus Christ already bore God's wrath for you. And if you believe on him, you can be saved and you can be delivered from his wrath to come. The Bible says this in Romans 5, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. It's a wonderful promise to those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation. That term wrath that he's talking about there is the wrath of God against their sin. And it, and it culminates in the end times here. And God is saying, 
He saves us and he delivers us from the wrath that is to come. God provides a way of escape by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, we're going to look now at the rest of the uh, judgments that are to come. The seventh seal is opened, and the seventh seal, as I mentioned, includes all seven trumpet judgments and all seven bowl judgments. So the first trumpet judgment is um, found in Revelation chapter 8. So let's go over to Revelation 8, and we'll take a look at this. In Revelation 8, verse 7, it says this, The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood. And they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. By the way, this is not the full wrath of God. This is God holding back his wrath. This is, as it says, one-third of all of the forests um, that are consumed here. There are about 60 million square miles of land on the earth. So if a third of the vegetation is consumed, that's 20, uh, roughly 20 million square miles. To give you some perspective, what we're talking about here is equivalent to all of North America, all of Australia, all of South America. All of that equals about one-third of the landmass of the earth, all up in smoke. Some people ask, ask me the question, well, is the United States in biblical prophecy? Well, it's never named, as far as I can tell, but this might be the end of America right here. This may be where the USA fits. It may go up in smoke with a third of the world. You know, we think global warming is a problem now. This is nothing what we're facing today. What an environmental disaster. But God's judgment is coming. The question is, are you ready? The second is the trumpet judgment is a burning mountain into the sea. Revelation 9, verse 8. Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. So the experts tell me that 71%, roughly, of our Earth's surface is water. 68% of that water is salt water. In the second trumpet judgment, this great burning mountain, something like a great burning mountain, is thrown into the sea, and about 47 million square miles of ocean is turned to blood and a third of the sea life dies, and a third of the ships. How much is a third of the oceans? Well, if you take the Pacific Ocean in its entirety, that's about a third of the ocean that is turned to blood. One third of the oceans. There are roughly 20,000 merchant ships in existence today, including um, Military ships, including uh, cargo ships, including um, even the ships, what do you call those? Uh, cruise ships, okay? 20,000, roughly. Not, it does not include the yachts and the private speedboats and the rowboats and canoes, but the big ships, okay? 20,000 of them. And so this object falls into the sea and wipes out a third of the ships 
that are in existence. Scientists today are nervously watching for NEOs, near-Earth objects. We've seen a few of those in the past decade. More recently, I think a few weeks ago, one that passed by between the moon and the Earth. And one of these days, we are going to get hit. We are on a collision course. Uh, with, they are on a collision course with the Earth. But there's nothing that we can do to stop it. I don't care what they say about sending up a missile and blowing it to bits and all that. That would probably create more damage, more harm on the earth than if they just left it alone. But God's judgment is coming. Again, the question is, are you ready? The third judgment is a judgment of a star or a, a heavenly body called Wormwood. Verse 10, then the third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and in the springs of water. Well, the last judgment was on the salt water. This is on the fresh water. And it's a the star's name Wormwood. And men die because of the poisonous water. They drink it and, it, and they die from it. A third angel sounds the trumpet, the uh, Great star falls, and a third of the fresh water supply is poisoned. Do you remember Jesus sat beside a woman at a well one day? And he said to this woman, give me a drink. And uh, she talked to him a little bit, and he said to her, whoever drinks of this water from this well will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus wants to give you eternal life, everlasting life. And he, he illustrates it by comparing it to water that quenches your thirst. And he's basically saying this, spirit, physically, when you're thirsty, you go and get a drink of water. Spiritually, you're thirsty. And there's only one person who can satisfy that thirst, and that is Jesus Christ. Nothing else really satisfies. You know, you can try everything else that the world has to offer. You can try riches. You can try relationships. You can try an education. You can try accumulating everything that the world has to offer. And nothing satisfies. But there is one who does. And that is Jesus Christ. And he says, if you drink from this water, um, you will never thirst again. Believe on me, Jesus said, and I will give you uh, eternal life. God's judgment is coming. Are you ready? Fourth trumpet judgment is found in verse 12. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And I looked, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Can you imagine? This is not just a solar eclipse that passes by. This is an event that causes the sun to, to be one-third less strong on earth, as it were, um, can you imagine the effects this would have? If you were to just stop and think about the effects that all of these judgments have and all of the repercussions of it, already the earth is filled with smoke. 
Already, the earth uh, has lost a third of the trees. The oxygen levels have changed. The uh, carbon dioxide levels have changed. Uh, now you have a third of the uh, sun that is no longer shining, and it's gonna, the temperatures are going to have to plummet. It's going to have an effect on crops. It's going to have an effect on life on earth. It's going to have this eerie sense of dread and uh, feeling of impending doom. And if you stop and think about the effects of every single judgment that are coming in rapid succession now, they have, uh, it's mind-boggling. It really is. Think of the weather changes. Think of the changes in the rainfall, in the snowfall, in the cold, and all of these things um, that are caused by this. God's judgment is coming. Are you ready? The fifth trumpet sounds, and it's uh, found in... Um, I believe this is actually, well, let me go to it real quick. Let me turn over to, yeah, chapter 9, verse 1. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. Now, let me stop here, and I want to point out one word that comes next. It says, so it's a star that's falling, right? Everybody agree so far? Now, what's the next two words? To him. Is that what it says in your Bibles? Okay, that's what it means. To him was given the key of the bottomless pit. So this star actually represents a being. It's, a pers- it's, a, it's, a, it's actually Satan. And uh, to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. And out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. By the way, locusts don't have stinging capabilities, but these do. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who, did, who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. If we had time to study this, we would see that the hymn here is Satan himself. And he comes, if, uh, Revelation chapter 12, he comes, he's finally cast out of heaven uh, to no longer be allowed there at all. He can no longer stand before God. He can no longer accuse the saints. Praise the Lord for that. And he's done. And he knows his time is short. And he's cast out of heaven. And he realizes that he's only got a very short period of time to deal with us and deal with things. And he's going to turn up the heat, as it were, on us. It's very likely that these creatures that have come out are not animals. They're not insects, probably. They probably really are demons that he's talking about here that have come to the earth. They are basically unleashed from the pit, from the abyss, and they are unleashed on human beings to torment them but not kill them. And so God has placed a line in the sand, as it were, and says, you can go this far and no further. But men would prefer to die. They would prefer to be killed and not be tormented. And for five months, they will be tormented by these demonic creatures who will um, 
tor- torment them. You can remember Legion, the, the man who, was, who had a legion of demons in him, and the torment that he went through. You remember the story? How he went out into the graveyards, to the tombs, and he would inflict wounds on himself. He would cut himself, and he would try to, to, uh, to harm himself and hurt himself. And people were afraid of him. And it says that they tried to chain him, put chains on him, and, and to, to keep him uh, tied up, and, and he would break them. This is supernatural strength because of demonic power uh, in him. And this is what is going to be unleashed on the earth and on people who remain on the earth in the last days. When a person or when people reject God, there's only one father left, and that's Satan. And we are either of our father, the devil, or we are of God, our father. Which is it? You can only have one father. You can't have two. Is God your father? Have you come to him? There's a wonderful passage in John. It says, um, um, But as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to become children of God. When we are born, we are not children of God. We are born under the family of Satan. And he is our father. And we do his bidding because he's our father. But there has to come a point in your life, somewhere, at some point, at some time in your life, where you say, you know what? I'm through with that father. I disown him. And I own God as my father. Jesus Christ is my savior. And God says, I give you the right to become children of God. Wonderful, wonderful promise. Still, men will not repent. Still, men will not believe the Lord. You think, wow, what is it going to take to wake people up? Six trumpet judgment. Verse 13, and then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had a trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And so the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now, I want to stop there for a second. Remember last week, we looked at one of the judgments, and it says that a quarter of the world's population was killed in one judgment. We figured that's roughly two billion people. Now there are many, many more millions of people who have died since that time. But suppose that there were none who had died between those two. We're now at a point where let's say there are six billion people still left on earth. Here's another two billion who are killed. And so in just two judgments, not including any other judgment that came before, that came in between or comes after. Four billion, half the world's population, are decimated by these judgments. The army of horses, 200 million, and I heard the number of them. And they come in and they uh, destroy uh, a third of mankind. It says, verse 20, but the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works of their hands that they should not worship demons and idols of gold and silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. God has a purpose in judgment, and it is to bring us face to face with our sin and the consequences of our sin before a holy God. Sin must be judged. And God will 
judge it. Now, whether this 200 million man army is men or it's demons, I'm not quite sure, but I do know that a lot of people die in it. Amazing to me that this is very similar um, response in the people that remain to what we had in Pharaoh and Pharaoh's heart. Remember Pharaoh, where God poured judgment after judgment after judgment upon the land of Egypt. And it says, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. Then he would face another judgment and go, oh, wait, 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 Moses, come back, come back, come back, come back. Pray to God, have him remove this one from me. And Moses graciously did over and over again. And as soon as the pressure was off, he went right back to it and he hardened his heart again. And it says that God hardened his heart as well. And so when a person hardens their heart toward God, God grants them their request and he hardens it as well. And that's what we have here in these uh, judgments. Finally, we've come to the seventh trumpet judgment, really, which is the seven bowls of wrath. And as you look at these, they're coming in greater frequency. They're coming in greater intensity, like labor pains. And uh, soon they will all be delivered. The first bowl judgment is a plague of sores or boils. You know what? I have stopped putting pictures up because the pictures that would show what's to come would be so graphic that uh, I think it would, it would sicken us. But it's real. It's really going to happen. So the first, uh, so we go all the way over to Revelation chapter 16, verse 2. So the first went out and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. Remember, we mentioned that the Antichrist would require everybody on earth to uh, have his mark on their forehead or on their hand in order to transact business. These are the results of, this is the result of doing that. You will end up with festering, loathsome sores. The prophet Zechariah writes about a plague, and it may refer to this time, where he says this, Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in the sockets, and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. The second bold judgment is the oceans turned to blood. Uh, chapter 16, verse 3. You say, well, wait a minute. I thought the oceans already turned to blood. Yeah, remember I said God was holding back his judgment? Only one-third of the oceans in the trumpet judgments. Now it's everything. It all stops uh, or pulled, uh, pulled out. And it says in verse 3, Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man. And every living creature, every living creature, creature in the sea died. The judgment affects all oceans. And again, I, I underscore that phrase, every living creature in the sea died. There's nothing left. This is the day the ocean dies. And the stench of the rottenness of that flesh will be overwhelming to all of the coastal cities and that wind as it blows across the land uh, will be just uh, um, sickening. The third bowl judgment, all fresh water turned to blood. Remember again, the previous judgment under the trumpets was a third. Now it's all of it. And the river, uh, verse uh, four, then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water and they became blood. 
And I heard the angel of the waters saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. What things? So God's judgment has a reason behind every single one of these things. But he tells us here why he is doing this. Listen to the reason. For they, who is the they? That's the people of the earth, have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Can you imagine going to the faucet this morning and turning it on and blood comes out? Going to have a shower and blood comes out? Going to the store to get a drink of water? Nothing but blood. Going to the streams, to the rivers, and everywhere, it's blood. How long would you live without fresh water? We use it for cooking. We use it for bathing. We use it for cleaning. We use it for everything. We ourselves are a good percentage of water. Everything is turned to blood. Why did God do this? Because it is his righteous judgment. He is judging people of the earth for the murder of his prophets, of his preachers, of his teachers, of missionaries who have been martyred down through the centuries, and for the murder of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Their blood is cried out to the Lord for vengeance, and vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. And the vengeance of the Lord is now come. Is it blood you want? That's really the question he's asking. Is it blood you want? Then drink it up. It's blood you shall drink. And there's nothing else to swallow. And really, it is poetic justice for the countless murders the world has committed. Fourth bowl judgment. Verse 8. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. Unlike Pharaoh, who at least temporarily repented, they don't repent at all. And as the heat comes up and as the the plagues come in rapid fire, rapid succession, they're not repenting. They're not turning to God. They're not saying, God, deliver us, forgive us for our sins. They're hardening their hearts and they're blaspheming God for what he is doing. Interesting, in the trumpet judgments, it says that a third of the sun was darkened. That would have plummeted everything into ice and cold. Here, it's not getting darker. It's now blazing in its full, full glory to a point where it is so hot that it is burning people um, from the heat. It's as if all God's creation is turning man, uh, against man and saying, Wake up! Wake up and repent! Be saved! But instead, man blasphemes the Lord. The fifth bowl judgment, verse 10. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and did not repent of their deeds. Do you see a common thread here? What is God trying to do? God is saying, look, come. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Come to me. 
and I will deliver you from the wrath to come. Come and believe the Lord. That's what he wants of us today. We have that opportunity here and now today to believe on the Lord and be saved. And if not, we face the wrath to come. There's no alternative. The sixth bowl judgment is found in verse 12. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up, so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming forth out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. Ah, you've heard of that. Armageddon. And we've heard, seen movies, we've heard this, the phrase over and over again, but this is where Armageddon fits. It's right at the very end, and the armies of the earth come together, and really they are coming together to fight one another, but it, it, and in the midst of their fight, they will be fighting uh, each other, but, but the Lord himself will come. That's next. And as he comes, they will actually turn and they will fight him and he will destroy them all. Seventh bowl judgment, verse 17. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. Praise the Lord. It's over. Praise the Lord. It's over. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings and there was a great earthquake such as a, such a mighty and great earthquake as has not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone weighing about a talent." about a hundred pounds. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since the plague was exceedingly great. Well, let's turn back to Luke 21. And we see the end of what the Lord Jesus Christ said here. And he says, this is what will take place at the end. Verse 26, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Now there are two responses at the very end of the tribulation period. Those who are unsaved fear God's wrath and punishment. That's found in verse 26. Their hearts fail them for fear. Then there are those believers who came to know the Lord during the tribulation period. They had not heard the gospel now. They heard it during the tribulation period, and they believed on the Lord. Some of them actually survived this. And uh, they are told to look up, for your redemption draws near. And then Jesus answers the question that started the entire discussion five weeks ago. The disciples asked this question, When will these things be? Verse 29 and he spoke to them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. 
When they are ready, already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. How many of you are experiencing allergies right now? Okay. Why are you experiencing allergies? Because the trees are budding. Okay. When you see the budding of the trees, you know, well, the leaves are going to soon show up too. And not long after that, summer will be here and the fruit will, will come to bear. We see this season after season after season. And God is saying, when you see the fig tree um, beginning to bud, know that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will by no means pass away. The fig tree, as we've noted many times before, actually is a symbol or an illustration of Israel. And Israel began to bud in 1948 when it became a state once again. And then Israel began to blossom. And the leaves began to put forth in 1967 when it took about a third more territory for itself. The European nations, the other trees that he's talking about, um, have begun to form a revived Roman Empire, even as we speak. The Arab nations are rising in opposition. The nations that are going to come together, gather against Israel, they're already threatening it now. All of these are signs that Jesus pointed to. Know for yourselves that summer is now near. Know that the kingdom of God is near. Again, the question for you is, are you ready? Are you ready? One of the clearest evidences to me of whether I'm ready and whether you're ready has to do with what you really care for in life. I'm alarmed by Christians who see all of these things, who study all of these things, who hear all of these sermons, who know all of these things, and then go out into the world and live just like the rest of the unsaved. Professing to be saved professing to be forgiven all their sins and then going out and living just like the rest of the world does. To them, life is just one endless party. There's no serious thought about their actions, about partying, drinking, drugs, immorality, lies, covetousness, and the list goes on. Jesus said this in verse 34, but take heed to yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that the day come upon you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. We'll end with this one passage, and I want to kind of circle around to where we started at the beginning today. If you lived during the time of Noah, now we know that event took place. We know that the world perished in the flood. It's real. Noah's preaching was real. Noah's um, exposure of what God was going to do was real. Jesus asked this in Matthew 24. This is the parallel passage. And he says this in verse 36, But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. 
For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. It was just life as usual. And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known what the hour of the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Let's pray. Lord, as we think of the the way that you have warned us, the way that you have so clearly spelled out to us what is to come. Lord, we want to say in our hearts, we want to be ready, Lord. We want to be ready today. We want to be ready this hour. And we want to be living in such a way day by day that we can honestly say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Lord, forgive us for being callous about these things. Forgive us for being aloof. Forgive us, Lord, for taking these things lightly when you have so thoroughly and clearly told us what is to come. Lord, we don't want to be like the people of Noah's day that were eating and drinking and just having a good old time right up until the day that they perished. And Lord, I want to pray especially this morning for those who have not yet come to know you that today would be the day of their salvation. And I pray for us, Lord, those who believe that, Lord, we would be different people day by day, that we would shun uh, sin, turn from it, repent of it, and uh, be walking in holiness before you, Lord. We know you're coming, and we pray, Lord, that it might be today. In Jesus' name, amen. The meeting is now over.